Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. When we graduate from college, we often have little idea of where we'll find ourselves in the second half of life. We wonder how our career will evolve, how we will grow a family and move into our middle ages, what surprises will be revealed, and what legacy we will leave our family and friends, and the planet. In today's episode, we talk with Leslie Danoff, a longtime friend who graduated in the groundbreaking first freshman class of women at Yale, embarked on a career in professional broadcast journalism and documentary filmmaking, raised a family, and took an unusual turn into the world of conservation, co-founding Global Forest Generation, a nonprofit whose mission is to accelerate meaningful forest restoration and help stave off the scourge of climate change. Leslie will offer some of her wide-ranging observations about lifelong learning, how she made unconventional moves into uncharted territory later in life, and how we can all continue to grow 45 forward. So now let's meet our guest, Leslie Danoff. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to have you. And um, uh, we, we will talk a lot about uh, global forest rest, uh, restoration. but Gener- um, Generation. Generation, <laughs> Well, it's restoration. But, but we are doing gener- res- we are right. doing restoration. Generation. Right. <laughs> generation. Yeah. Uh, but first, I wanted to just give our, our listeners a little bit of uh, background about you and have you talk about how you got to where you are today. Um, uh, just for the uh, for information of our listeners, Leslie and I are longtime friends. We met in college. Uh, we've kept uh, in touch intermittently over the years, uh, and we uh, reconnected at our fiftieth college reunion. Uh, which was a lot of fun, and uh, I was, you know, learned a lot about Leslie in her recent years, and I was fascinated and couldn't wait to get her on the show. So, Leslie, just with just give us a couple of strokes about how you got to where you are today. Some of the major shifts in your life. Okay, so upon facing graduation, unlike many or maybe even most of our classmates who are going on to a graduate school of one kind or another, or a medical, you know, medical school, law school, etc. I felt a very deep need to do what I, what I called at the time, to be an ARP, a real person. I hadn't, heard, I heard, hadn't heard of AARP yet. That was, <laughs> that was somewhere in my future. But ARP, to be able to actually be independent, to have a career, to not be, basically taken care of within the you know an academic institution and um and so i being a person who uh so what could i do without an advanced degree i was i'm a uh, was and and continue to be a very curious person i love to write i love to do research i i've been really i i've learned so much from basically sitting in front of the, the the evening news and and watching Charles Kuralt on the road. And I just had this feeling that I could create a broadcast journalism career just by virtue of starting to knock on doors. Um, we can talk later about how that went, but, but it was, even looking back, I think it was a good move. Now, you mentioned at the beginning, conventional or unconventional choices that one makes. Now, the the convent the un the conventional choice for me would have been to not 
follow in my mother's footsteps at all. Mm -hmm. Because look, look, I mean, I had this opportunity to be to be in the first co-ed class at Yale, and and I started life thinking that even though I did want to have a family, I would do it quite differently than my mother had. Even though I think she did amazing, she did amazingly in in her time. I mean, she didn't have the educational opportunities that I had, but she, in addition to being an incredible mother, she was, she was a community organizer. I mean, she was very involved. It wasn't just like homemaker. I always thought is a pejorative term, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it didn't describe my mother in the 1950s and 60s. And, and, and it didn't describe what I ended up doing after about 10 years in broadcast journalism. I started a family and again, the idea was that I could do it all simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but I found that that actually wasn't possible despite different attempts that I made. But I'd always look forward, so look forward to being a parent, so look forward to having children, that even had I not found a wonderful partner with whom to have children, I would have been a single parent. I like That's how much I wanted kids. But I also wanted, you know, I wanted to, that not to be the only thing. But what worked, what worked for me was to focus on family and community involvement as my parents had. And then at some point, figure out what to do with the rest of my life, right. which, which I did. But before I got to Global Forest Generation, interestingly, and I don't know how much this applies to you or your listeners, but I can't overestimate the importance of paying attention to small things that will lead you in a new direction. Mm. And, and for me, this very small thing, which I could easily have overlooked, but I didn't, was receiving in the mail what you could think of as junk mail or a solicitation. A solicitation is a nice way of saying that, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and it, what it was, this was um, somewhere in the early 2000s, was it like it was about this organization. Like I was on there. I, I was not surprising. I got the solicitation because I probably was on every every mailing list for environmental and conservation causes because I supported them and really cared about them deeply. But I hadn't worked for any of them. Um, but this was about an organization whose name I couldn't remember, which was one of the. Pro it was. It's actually it was called. It was called. Uh, 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 Right now that I'm on here, I'm having a problem. But it became Rainforest Trust. It was called uh, World Land Trust U.S., mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which which uh, was a big name for something for an organization that didn't do anything in the United States. But anyway, right. but but they were they were um, doing uh, rainforest preservation in a very amazing way. I thought, and I and I continue to think which is instead of relying on governments to do the right thing, and they're not because they're dysfunctional, it was basically gathering people to do strategic land purchase and help governments in the areas that were trying to protect a rainforest and, and uh, to, to be able to not just have paper protection, but to be yeah. able to really do it. Right. I thought, wow, this is, this is something that everyone could rally around, no matter what their politics. Right. Yeah. And anyway, one thing led to another, and I became very involved and actually rebranded, uh, was, was instrumental in rebranding World Land Trust US to be Rainforest Trust. But anyway, wow. that, but that led to Global Forest Generation in the following way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I worked, Rainforest Trust was like my fourth child for, huh, right. for the years yeah. that I was doing this. 
And uh, but then like uh, that, that with the need for a new challenge and and I would say the um, the my desire was at as ratcheted up as high as it could be for for two reasons. Yeah, one was becoming a grandparent for the first time mm, and yeah. and having and having seen in my or un, an understanding that in my, in our lifetime the natural world has just about been destroyed i mean in 50 you know just in our just since the 1950s what has been lost right. is just uh, it's just beyond almost beyond comprehension you yeah know? yeah yeah um and so and 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 then the other so that was the great thing like okay how can i leave the how can i actually try to do something that will maybe mm -hmm. leave the world a little better for my grandchild and her generation yeah and the other yeah. thing was a terrible so there was the most joyful wonderful thing and then a really what I consider to be personally a horrible thing, which was, um, which, which was an election of, 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 of 2016 of, of Donald Trump. And I thought anybody who has an idea to do anything, even if you've never tried it before, you don't know if you could succeed. You just, you just have to try. And, right. and I, and I had seen people um, through my, during my time at Rainforest Trust who were these, like they were forces of nature themselves, people who just, Right. just decided to try to do things and and uh like nelson mandela said it seems impossible until it's done so yeah. you gotta you gotta try yeah great yeah so um leaving politics aside i understand your your <laughs> thoughts uh and going back to the what you started with um mm -hmm. which is um you know you can't do it all you mm -hmm. know i think that was something that you know as we were in our 20s certainly there was a burst of um, well, civil rights and there was a women's movement. I think that was sort of a sense of, you know, as women were really getting into new fields that like, like wait a minute, I can do it all. I don't have to be a homemaker. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but I, that's not just what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we realize, whether, you know, woman or man, is that, well, we you can do it all, but you have to do it in succession sometimes. And you have to be make sort of compromises and figure out because you don't know what the, the all is sometimes and it sort of unfolds before you. So uh, I think that, you know, for you clearly, you know, having children, having a family was important to you. You found a great guy and that was, that was part of it. So that was good. Um, but the, um, the other thing is that um, I think that, you know, as, as you mentioned, one of the things that also motivated you was the connection between having a family and your legacy. And well, wait a minute, what am I going to do? So I think that's, you know, prompted, you know, like, wh what, what am I do for the, the planet and my planet and my grandchildren? Right. Um, and I think that that's something that, that just doesn't come with you when you're in your twenties and thirties, you're not really focused on that and you have to sort of wait for it to unfold. Right. And it, and as you, and just underlining what you mentioned earlier, which is that sometimes it comes to you in unpredictable ways in small ways that, it's not a, it's not really a you know a lightning strike moment it's a huh that's interesting but then you need to do something with it and so that's what you did um so you mentioned a little bit about how you started but um you know starting a nonprofit's not so easy <laughs> no um, it isn't and 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 it, and this was way too much for one person to do mm -hmm. so i am a, a co-founder i i had an idea ron that again it had to be tested but I felt it wasn't just 
it wasn't just the protection of the environment, but it's just also the problem of, of pervasive poverty and inequity that also I thought, well, there's, there's, there is a way to actually to, to kind of try to deal with both those huge problems simultaneously. And, and I took as an inspiration uh, Franklin Roosevelt's cons uh, Civilian Conservation Corps uh, when, he, when I think like three million, they were men then, were employed for a very small amount of money. But again, a dollar a day was a dollar more than they otherwise would have had for their families. And basically reforested much of the, uh, the degraded forests in the United States during that mm -hmm. time. And it was considered to be like an incredible success. And a lot of the forests in the, in the national parks are, are as a result of, of that time. And, 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 you know, and so, so taking that model of, of, of okay, who's gonna be doing the, the stewardship of, the, of, re, of reforestation and forest protection? It's, it's mainly uh, people in very remote areas who mm -hmm. often have very little and they can't, and, and they need to benefit. They need to, they, they just can't be told this is good for the world, you know? Right, exactly. What's, what's, and so, so my, my thought was to, to, to be able to combine the idea of social and economic benefits to those who need it most. And while, uh, it, while helping, um, you know, basically helping nature and people, because we need our, we need healthy ecosystems in order to maintain our planet. And I had the good fortune uh, of meeting uh, one of the co-founders uh, who is a, an indigenous uh, conservation leader in Peru. His name is Tino Alca, who had actually been doing this very thing for almost 20 years at that point. Um, in, uh, well, he, he works in many areas of Peru, but uh, he lives in Cusco, so not far from Machu Picchu. And, and in the mountains of the Vilcanota Mountains had been working with uh, local communities for years and 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 they really understood conservation you know they really understood conservation i mean you had to work to really develop relationships first so that that the relationship building is you know most important but so when we started global forest generation it was with a model that we could replicate elsewhere and tino had this idea this dream more than an idea it was a dream which became global forest generation's dream as well which was to basically reforest one of, I, I call it the tree or the forest that, 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 that's the most important that, that most people have never heard of called polylepis, which mm. grows at the highest, highest altitude of any trees in the Western hemisphere. It could be in the world, but you, we don't want to say that because there could be you know, elsewhere something high. But I mean, it grows at exceedingly high elevations and it's, and it's exceedingly important, um, not just because it can store massive amounts of carbon in primarily really in, in, in the soils in addition to the trees themselves. And of course, forests are superpowers in terms of being carbon reservoirs, which is why, you know, it's one of the main, like the main reason why it's so important, but not the only main reason why it's so important to protect forests, but, but for water security, you know, mm. Trees are extremely important for uh, water security because they, they create healthy watersheds, which is where we get our water. And these trees in particular have a capacity to really attract moisture and 
and not only provide water to the people that are stewarding the lands, but but people who live downslope, and also these these waters form the headwaters of the Amazon as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, we had a model, so that's why. So it was. It's still hard. Yeah, it is hard. It's like I guess it's like I've never started a business, but there are many aspects. But I learned from doing this that there are many aspects that are similar. Yeah. Well, one of the things you mentioned initially, which I think is important, is relationships, and that is. One of the keys that, you know, if you have an idea, if you don't have the right relationships, people don't know you. And if you don't take the time to develop them, it's very hard to do it. And it, and that concept sort of uh, also relates ecologically, too, that we are in relationship with nature. And it's something which I think, you know, has been an interesting shift that um, – uh, and I think it, now you can sort of see it, you know, shifting into the language of uh, – of, uh, social cu- of culture, which we talk about. Well, we we are developing an ecosystem. Well, people never talked about ecosystems before that, um, and it's important that people recognize that you know we have to get past this human centric view of the planet because we're just part of it. And uh, <laughs> and if we don't, if we think we're the center, well, guess again. <laughs> anytime there's a storm, it's quickly realized uh, we're not the center. It, we're just part of this so um so i want to talk much more about this but we need to take a short break leslie um but folks uh we'll be coming back um with much more from leslie danoff the co-founder of global forest generation Uh, so don't go anywhere follow voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burroughs and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burroughs and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, 
please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Leslie Danoff, who began her career as a broadcast journalist and documentary filmmaker, and in her 45 forward years, co-founded Global Forest Generation, a nonprofit whose mission is to accelerate meaningful forest restoration and help stave off climate change. So before the break, we were talking to Leslie about how she uh, created her nonprofit. And one of the things we mentioned uh, that, that is that she spent a lot of time developing relationships, and, and in particular, um, with local leaders, you know, and I, th- I wanted to pick that up and, and have you talk about that a bit more. Well, it's actually, so just to um, redefine this a little, the idea of the local leaders, so Tino Alka had had this model of, of, of being an amazing local leader and you, and you, and without the leadership, nothing would have happened. So, mm-hmm. so the idea that that um, our, the co-founders uh, decided made sense and seemed to be missing in a lot of other conservation nonprofits that you know have their heart in the right place and obviously are trying to make a difference as well is to focus on the on the idea of grassroots leadership and mm-hmm. communities right because that's where the action is you know that's where you can really make change um, the government. I mean, as much as maybe some governments want to do it and, a lot, and others just don't, I mean, in the meet, or, and you have just a lot of differences of opinion of how to do it, if to do it. But if communities are, are really committed, you can make such amazing changes. And, and with Global Force Generation, the idea, our idea was that we're creating partnerships with, with local leaders across vast geographies that that um, have a lot in common, like they're trying to actually um, regenerate and save similar uh, ecosystems, for example. So mm-hmm. with our with our first um, initiative, uh, Oxenandina, which is in South America, and it, and it, and it basically um, involves all of the Andean countries, you know, from Colombia and Venezuela in the north to Chile and Argentina in the south, is to, if you actually have like a lot of people mobilized in a lot of places across boundaries you you're creating you ha- you're creating a social movement hopefully you know and right. then th- and that could actually make like, like change happen and and it's not overnight but you know in the five years that we've been doing this i mean we're we have part we have our projects i think 24 projects in five countries and 20 about twenty thousand people involved so far so that's great but the idea also of involving uh, the younger, involving multiple generations, but really focusing on the young generation, but also focusing on people that may have never done this before, but actually have a capacity to. And I, I'd love to just give you, Ron, one example that That's I funny. find I find so inspiring. In in Ecuador, there is a a leader who um, had spent. Most of his life, he was born. He's a, a native Ecuadorian, but he'd spent most of his life uh, in Canada. His parents had emigrated, and he's and in his in his profession for many years was he sold appliances. He then returns to um, Ecuador. He he founds an ecotourism company with his wife, and and I won't 
we don't have time for me to tell you everything that ha it's cons transpired, but he ultimately found him, Tino Alka found him and thought, wow, this guy seems like he has leadership potential. And, and John Paredes does, and he, not only has he involved communities and during the pandemic, and this is a thing that various um, partners did again, that you can't even, you, it's hard to even articulate how important this was for um, the people involved, but you know, rather than thinking of conservation during the pandemic, like providing needs to the people, like explaining to them what's going on. First of all, you know, providing services, like providing food that they did, didn't have access to, and, mm. and 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 explaining like the importance of of like just washing your hands, just various things. The word carries like so many communities as a result of just doing the right thing, just being empathetic, just caring. Like a lot of communities thought, like we want to be part of, the, right. of, of this as well. But but what what uh, John and and his wife Alex had done in addition, because she's she's very much a part of this as well, was to involve the military in reforestation, which. You know, especially in Latin American countries, you know, to have the people and the military working together on something was like revolutionary in a in a different sense of, <laughs> right. of the word, you know. Right. And and I found that and and so first the um uh the, the soldiers were just driving um the the trucks because they're up muddy muddy roads and just to get some just to get um all of these plants up to be to the high elevations where they needed to be planted was difficult for the people to carry but then they wanted to start planting themselves and so um and then the military band wanted to play for the people just to you know raise their spirits and just i don't i just saw that as a harbinger of what is possible yeah yeah you know i, I think that um uh you, what you're saying to me is that uh, there, there's a special role for nonprofits too you know certainly governments are important businesses are important but both of these sectors have certain constraints that that the non the nonprofit can play a, a pivotal role because they there's some flexibility and there's an ability to really explore certain things that you know I'm not I'm not being critical of government or business I'm just saying that there are constraints they have constituencies they need to answer to and they they don't have as much ability to explore and be um, experimental and so. I think that nonprofits really play a key role, and, and that I'm glad that you're doing it this way. And and in terms of stirring up the the base, so to speak, uh, which is you know a, a lot of local support, mm -hmm. the grassroots. You know, I think that we underestimate too uh, when we talk about leadership, as you put it before, grassroots leadership. That's a, that's a really distinctive and powerful form that really you know generates a lot of movement that. You know, it's 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 trickle up, not trickle down, and I think that's what happens sometimes. That's you know? true. Yeah, that's true. And there's some, and there's another really animating force too that because you you had alluded to culture, like so the idea of of an, an, this kind of work enabling um, the cultures of the, in, these indigenous communities to not just survive but thrive, mm -hmm. and for and for uh, and for the rest of the world to understand that traditional practices um, are, have, are have so much wisdom and like we've we have to listen and not, not think that we that the rest of us know everything because we don't and and um, so the Inca culture of course where uh, Tino Alka you know that's his area and his his birth his, his ancestry 
um, he has really brought back to his people, and it, this suffuses Oxion and Dina, um, the, the Inca concept of Aini and Minka, this, this, mute, this uh, belief that of, 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 of I help you, you help me. It's like true cooperation, to, to, which, is, which enabled the Incas to do what they did. And so that, that concept brought, is like a global, it really is a, should be a global sentiment that we're all in this together. Nobody could do it alone. And even, so the way, you know, the way the communities will plant, like one will help, they'll, they'll, they'll all converge in one place, you know, one season, another place, they'll decide to go somewhere else. But we help each other. We can't, it's reciprocity. We, can't, we cannot do it alone. And I yeah. just think that's a beautiful message. And I think about it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think the reciprocity is important. And I think, um, as you're mentioning Inca culture too, I, I just happened to have having a conversation yesterday with one of my sons. Um, we were talking a lot about nature and about he had been, been watching, um, you know, YouTube videos about the exploration of ancient cultures and the, you know, um, unearthing literally of ancient cities. And and we were talking about what I, I guess what I characterize as uh, ancient wisdom, as you pointed, that mm -hmm. there is a lot of wisdom in these um, indigenous cultures uh, or just older cultures that we've lost and are rediscovering. Um, and I think that's what's sort of exciting about your venture too. It's it's going forward, but it's rediscovering new things from the past. Um, and uh, so I think that's, that's, that's great. Um, uh, so, you know, Leslie, we're going to talk about a bunch of other things, but before we go on, I just want to make sure I'll mention this at the end too, but I, I just want uh, our listeners to know if people want to get involved or, or participate or support, um, your venture, uh, are there ways that they can do that? Well, the best way would be to go to our website, Global Forest Generation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there are ways to donate, obviously. But could I just make one more point? Because if sure. we, but beyond that, when we're talking about community mm -hmm. and grassroots, you know, if for, if for people that, like if I weren't doing what I'm doing now, I think what I would be doing is I would be uh, working to create more livable I would be working on urban forests, basically, mm. because, you know, those are really important. Like for, we tend to think forests are only in these, you know, remote areas. But there are a lot of studies that show how important it is for cities, like cities to have, have like real green spaces. And but and many and, and urban forests are possible and they can they have we use the word like ecosystem service it sounds like it's so, so such a formal word but it's like if they're like these forests are helpful in so many ways in terms of like cleaning up the pollutants having fewer you know children with asthma but also with these hot days like there have been there have been um studies have been done that show in, in the same city a, a place that's leafy versus a place that's just concrete you know there could be a difference in over 20 degrees and uh, and health outcomes are, again, this is like a disparity. It's, an, it's another one of these, uh, you know, social economic inequities. But there's so much to also do in, on your local level. I just want, we would love to, whoever would love to be helpful to Global Forest Generation, we would welcome that. But I just wanted to make the point that there's so much that people could do just where they are. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I remember uh, preparing for another show. I ran into an organization called Nature Sacred. And um, I think a lot of what they do focus on is on urban nature. And you're absolutely right. And there are so many benefits, um, health benefits, psychological benefits, social benefits um, to integrating nature. Um, 
And again, I think, okay, we are sort of back to ecology, but recognizing that you don't have to make these separations. Oh, this is the city. This is the country. This is suburbia. Um, and I think that there are ways to really understand our relationships to nature as, as vital to who we are. You know, once again, it's not humans and nature. It is, it's us together. So, um, um, so good. Um, now I want to move backward a little bit to your previous uh, work uh, um, with Global Forest Generation and just um, sort of move, uh, you know, as to what you did before and maybe how that informed you. I mean, I think that your involvement in journalism and, and uh um, the documentary is a, sort of part of your overall curiosity. I think I, I listen to you and you're like, oh, this is a person who really is curious about a lot of things. That's true. <laughs> um, and uh, that's great. That curiosity, I think, is one of the um, elemental forces of creativity. So um, t- t- just talk a little bit about that, you know, the earlier career. And, uh, and you worked with some folks like Walter Cronkite, Bill Moyers, what was that like, especially coming out as a woman in those days, too? That's a whole other story. But I'll okay. Start, but I'll start. I'll start with uh, Walter Cronkite and, and and Bill Moyers because they were highlights of of my time uh, in broadcast journalism for sure. Uh, well, I don't know how many of your listeners could just hear Walter Cronkite's voice and just know who you're listening to, but you and I certainly could, right? Right. I mean, it's just, preeminent uh, newsman of, of our of our of our lifetime and um and when i went to work at, okay interestingly my first when i first went to interview at cbs it well i think i have to tell this this is gets into the woman's story i have to spend mm-hmm. one minute telling this okay sure uh, okay so having decided i really wanted to get it have a job at cbs news I knew I didn't know anybody, and so I would have to go to through what was then called personnel. It's now human re- resources, okay? Mm-hmm. And I thought ahead of time, am I okay? They're going to probably ask me if I'm going to take a typing test. Am I going to say yes <laughs> or no? Right. Well, I said I was going to say no, but when it came down to it, I knew that the only way I was going to actually get into to interview for a job on on the Cronkite News Show was to say yes. So I took the typing test. Uh, and they were very, they were way more impressed with my typing than anything else that I had <laughs> to offer, <laughs> which was which was okay. Now, I kind of took it with a grain of salt at the time, like, uh, all right, this isn't surprising. But in decades that have, I mean, one, I see that way differently now. But we could get back to that later. Mm-hmm. Well, just, um, but so I did actually my first interview was. Uh, for a job as a secretary on the on the you know evening news show, but the but the producer I met said, oh you don't need to you you, you don't need to be a secretary. I'll start introducing you to people. So you know one thing led to another, and I and I worked with uh, and for a number of wonderful people at C- at CBS. And but my last assignment um, was actually with Walter Cronkite, helping him uh, being his assistant. Uh, on the for, on the off year election night reporting and and one of my jobs was to co-write there were two writers a political handbook that really described descri- found anecdotes like really cool mm-hmm. things about various elections because my problem and it still is my problem with the way news is reported on election nights is it's a, just a horse race it's just reporting like who won but you never get a sense of who these people even are unless you already 
are so involved in the election right. of those candidates and who and who is. But I've taken great pains to find like really interesting things to hang your hat on. It would only take a correspondent probably 10 seconds to say it, but it would say, oh, you know. But um, so, you know, I had some choice things that I hope that, that uh, Walter Cronkite might use. But the coolest thing was when he would call me up on the phone, I would work late. I would just work as however long I needed to. But and he would like I'd hear his voice. Leslie, could you get such and such? I got I can't believe Walter Cronkite is asking me to do <laughs> whatever that was. It was just I don't even remember now what it was, but I just was like, of course, <laughs> you know, right. and it was just, uh, you know, he was an idol. So it was it was it was a very cool thing to have that experience uh, along with a, a number of other experiences um, i would say foremost would was um working for the first time with bill moyers mm-hmm. at, CB, at, C, at cbs but um i have to say the bill moyers experience was the most meaningful mm-hmm. and in every way first of all he's he's such a thinker and and you know a lot of a lot of uh, news at CBS was get it out there. We, there was a phrase like quick and dirty, just get it out. That always right. bothered me. Like I always wanted to go beyond what like the headline is, like really explain this. It, it, you, you have to learn something in order to do that. Nobody wanted to take the time. But Bill was my kind of person. I mean, you know, like why are you going to, why are you going to have any program about the obvious? Let's just let's just learn something and then have something that other people can learn as well. Right. And so one of the wonderful things about Bill was how he treated his staff. And I, I didn't really look at it then, but I came to see that I learned so much about leadership right. from working with him because his yeah. mode of leadership was to, um, was to actually empower his staff to do the most they could do and give them credit for what they've done because he could not. Ne- yeah, that, that's great. Just, you know, just hold that thought for a second. Okay. Uh, right on that note, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, folks, we're going to talk much more with Leslie Danoff, okay. co-founder of Global Forest Generation. Don't go anywhere. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Every conversation we have with the people in our lives is part of a relationship with them. From coworkers and bosses to spouses, kids, and parents, to your favorite cashier at the grocery store, the path a relationship takes can have many twists and turns. The Relationship Road Trip, hosted by Dr. Don Azevedo, is here to provide a roadmap for your relationships. The Relationship Road Trip, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. 
She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Leslie Danoff, the co-founder of Global Forest Generation. Uh, but before the break, we were talking about her pre-career uh, before Global Forest Generation. And she had uh, worked in journalism. And we were talking a little bit about her time with Bill Moyers. And just in general about the time for women in journalism and, and the evolution of, of women in work. So um, you were talking before, Leslie, about just sense of, of leadership and what you learned from him. Yeah, I just, I, I think about that a lot in, in terms of just day to day at Global Force Generation that, you know, w- being a good a leader versus being a really good leader are two mm-hmm. different things. And Bill just naturally, I think, did it the way I, I wish more leaders were, which is to be, is to understand that, that they are able to be who they are because of an incredible support system. Not to say that Bill couldn't do interviews on his own, but he had so many things going on simultaneously that mm-hmm. in order to do that, he had to rely on people that he could trust. And and he always made it clear that he knew that. You know, he didn't for, he didn't forget. It, just a small gesture like writing a note telling you. Mm-hmm. It just it 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 meant the world to all of us, you know, not just, you know, to, to me personally, but I know to others to get the little note, to get whatever it was, you know, it made you want to work even harder if that were possible, you know, than you already were. And so that is something that I take be- in addition to all of the lessons that I had just, just um, absorbed about journalism in general and, and, the, and how to, you know, how to ask the right questions. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, there was a certain generosity uh, and curiosity about, you know, Bill that, that you um, also you shared. And, and I think it probably was important in particular um, at, for you at the time of your life, but also at a time of where, where they're really changing um, relationships and evolution of women and in all sorts of culture. Um, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you and I were classmates together at Yale with the first um, class of freshman women. You know, I'm sure a lot of people say like, well, really, there were no women at Yale? Like, nope. <laughs> For uh, several hundred years, nope. <laughs> so it was a dramatic change. And uh, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how you came out of that and what your thoughts are in subsequent years about the, the role of women in, in work. I assumed, even though there were so few of women at Yale, I just assumed that Okay, we're here now, and so everything is, you know, it's the the, uh, if we can show we can do the work, we'll we'll be able to do it. Um, uh, That 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 was what would rule, like your your ability, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I found to my 
mystification, disappointment, despair, I don't know, that all of those mixed together, that that just wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, and, and big time at CBS, you know, I mean, um, men were not, young men were not asked to take a typing test in order to, um, you know, get in the door at CBS or I'm sure anywhere else. But mm-hmm. in 1973 was more like 1953, you know, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. maybe 20 years after that. I don't know when that ended, but, but um, I could, la- I could kind of laugh about it at the time, like, all right. I mean, I kind of knew that this might have, you know, be the case, but decades later it, uh, and up till now, like I've gotten more angry about the fact that I had to do <laughs> that instead of being able to put it into perspective, because I just see that that was emblematic of, of just the, the, blo- the roadblocks that there were for women. You could, you, wow. Well, if you just take like, a woman, maybe just me for the, the sake of argument, and somebody like a guy who had the same education, etc. You, I, I basically hit a a, a brick wall um, at CBS after five years, which is why I basically left. And one of the things that was especially dispiriting um, is that, in addition to what I consider to be outright um, sex discrimination. Um, the few women who had power at CBS, with 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 very few exceptions, wanted to keep it that way. So instead of wanting to be mentors, mm. they were they were resentful, and I couldn't that I couldn't understand. But um, two of my worst experiences at CBS actually were uh, where women were my superiors, and mm. I just I, I just couldn't believe how badly. Yeah, they would treat another a, a young woman, you know, who mm-hmm. showed what she, you know, as it, I was not a threat, but, uh, but so that's that's sad to me that um, I I felt stymied, mm-hmm. you know, and if I hadn't been stymied, I don't know, maybe I would have figured out then a way to have, uh, you know, made a career and family work together, you know, mm-hmm. but at that time, it was really hard. I mean, things have, have fortunately changed. You could right. probably speak to some people at CBS, like one of my friends who's just retired recently as a, um, as a, as a director, um, that they haven't changed as much as I personally might think, but they've definitely changed a lot. And it was hard. I, I just, I think that we, uh, well, maybe not, I think everybody has their own personal experience, but my experience was that the society had not changed as much as I expected. Mm-hmm. And so it was. It, it, so it was disappointing. Yeah. Well, I think change happens, but it, it never is really as fast as we think it should happen. You know, I think we we're sort of primed by technology and thinking, oh, we can just hit this button, do this, do this. That's not the way culture works. So I think, you know, as you look at the TV screens today, you see a lot more women in journalism, but it's. Mm-hmm. 50 years have gone by. So. Right, like, like a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. And, ho- and hopefully the merit system does mean something now when mm-hmm. it didn't mean enough, you know, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I ho- things have changed. But then again, it's funny because I was thinking in certain ways, despite the fact of how women were treated, my time at CBS and also with Bill Moyers was kind of like the golden age of television news because it's only gone downhill since then. I mean, I, you know, the focus was on, on you know, on accuracy, on honesty, and 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 in reporting, and and everybody heard the same news. Like whether you were listening to Walter Cronkite or or David Brinkley or you know or Harry Reisner or Tom Brokaw, whoever, 
you know, we were, the, the stories were somewhat different, but, but the message was the same. There were no quote alternative facts, you know, like right. we, and, and so even though of, of course there was still, I mean, a lot of differences of opinion, like think about the Vietnam war, but we, we were, we basically were hearing, and maybe there were certain things, stories that we didn't know that we should have known, but we were basically, we were all on the same page. Mm. Plus there were way more local newspapers then than now. So mm. I was also, I think, easier to really know what was going on in, 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 in many ways. And, yeah. and yeah, I think that that's true. I think that the, um, again, going back to the analogy of your, of your work in at, uh, global forest, um, you know, the, the connection to the local, that there was, there are connections to local papers too. And that's mm -hmm. kind of, uh, and thankfully, I think there are a lot of good local papers, but but there isn't that grassroots connection. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yes, it sort of happens on on the internet, uh, but without a lot of reporting, you know. But you do find out that um, a, a lot of stories that were broken that people found about in, in major newspapers were really bubbled. They bubbled up from local sources, um, and uh, so you you did feel that, and you did feel that there was sort of a consistency and reliability. You know, when you were saying, talking about Walter Cronkite, and I, I can hear his voice at the end of the broadcast going, and that's the way it is, you know, right. August 14th, 2023. Right. And and you did feel like, well, that is the way it is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so that's, we've lost that. And, and I don't think it's totally lost, but I, and I think there are, there are, there's some good to having, you know, a proliferation of different sources and, and, uh, uh, venues um but it it creates a confusion i think about you know and because um you know so much of the stuff comes up and and circulates so quickly without any kind of verification it creates kind of a you know a dangerous scenario where people don't know what's really true um uh, they just know what they heard um and um that's that that's a precarious situation so i think that you know there's a lot to be said about um yes the, whether it was the golden age or not it was certainly a clearer age and, and it had its faults like you said um uh, but i think that it had its benefits too no it 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 really did i mean it it wasn't news wasn't considered to be a commodity of entertainment it was right it was like we had to learn you know it, it was it was something to learn to share it was a civic responsibility i think mm -hmm. that the news the news divisions took that seriously right right so I wanted to just, um, I know that um, one of the things that you and I've talked about uh, as as we get older is to figure out ways to constantly exercise our brain and keep going. A lot of us, we do worry about dementia, and, and so that's a risk that we all face as we get older. Hopefully, we avoid it. But uh, so one of the things is, is how do you keep learning in life? And one of the things I've I found really intriguing about you was that uh, – yeah, uh, you would learn to play the harp shortly after college, and that you picked it up again, you know, fairly recently. So just talk about that a bit, because I think that's a that's a great thing and a great lesson. I've got a cousin who was in his nineties and in his eighties. He he learned uh, he taught himself how to carve furniture and then mm. carve guitars and and carve violins. And so, you know, keeping thinking and 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 creating ways that are challenging really uh, is important. Well, I have always felt a, a necessity to 
to, if possible, and now we know it is possible to um, create new connectivity in the brain. Like I think when we were in college, we, we th it was like the, the, if you already had all the brain cells you're going to have, and then the rest of your life, you're going to lose them. But, <laughs> but, now, right. but now we've learned something else. But my mother, you know, had early onset Alzheimer's. And, and so my, I would say my adult mission, one of my, my personal mission was to ward it if i if there's anything i could do that wasn't genetic that i couldn't help but i was going to do whatever that is and i do think that learning new things is hugely helpful and 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 mu and i have just found um just studying the harp as an adult to be so gratifying that i can't even i can't even really talk about it with almost having tears come to my eyes. It was a dream of mine, which I never could do in my childhood. I, pl I played the piano, but I didn't really see any option of how to play the harp. So I never asked my parents, you know, mommy, daddy, could I play the harp? It just, <laughs> it just wasn't, it just wasn't on the radar. Um, but having, after I graduated from college, I thought, okay, I can now figure this out. And I found a student at Juilliard who was an amazing teacher, and she still t is my teacher. Wow. Um, we had, uh, you know, I found through, there's not enough time to, to tell this story, but through serendipity, uh, you know, harps to play before I, I had the opportunity to own one. But um, I just think playing a musical instrument at any time of your life, like nobody should ever think if they have a dream that they wish that they could do X, they can do it, you can do it. You mm -hmm. just shouldn't think because you didn't start when you were five years old that all is lost. I actually think um, applying oneself as an, an adult, really wanting to do it instead of having, you know, your parent telling you to practice and understanding, really understanding on a deeper level what you're doing and why you're doing it. And even memorizing pieces where when you're a kid, you just memorize without even realizing it. But as an adult, I, 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 wor I work very hard at the, at the music that I'm studying, memorizing it because... I'm aware of like, I'm aware of the, um, my brain working hard and just being able to, to do it. If I just, if I just try, if I break it down into small pieces and, and again, it's just gratifying. It just, um, it's joyful. Well, on that note, the joyful note, uh, <laughs> sadly, we need to end this conversation. We'll run out of time, but it was delightful. I really want to thank you, Leslie, for a terrific conversation. And uh, I want to say that um, if you missed the conversation today, uh, you can pick it up by going to 45 Forward on for the voiceamerica.com network, or you can go to my website, robotresources.com, and click on 45 Forward. Uh, so be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Jim Ryan, a motivational speaker, author, and singer, um, who was the author of a book about aha moments. So then, until then, folks, Keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.